struts like John Wayne, resembles Jim Carrey, and dresses like he's visually impaired. Because he is Insight. Insight with Mark Farrell on the Progressive Radio Network. 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 Ah, uh, yes. Good morning, my friends. 11 o'clock in New York City, where it is 9 degrees. 9 degrees. Are you kidding me? The Statue of Liberty is frozen, the Empire State Building, the streets, the subways, everyone is for freezing, including yours truly. Hey, it's Mark Farrell. It's Insights on the Progressive Radio Network. How are you feeling, my friends? Yeah, yeah. The middle of January, actually, we're almost through January. Thank God the dead of winter is almost behind us. <laughs> oh, man. Cannot wait. But actually, are you noticing that the days are longer. Um, it's getting dark around 5.30 now, which is awesome, man. That is just a great telltale sign that spring, not soon enough, is around the corner. Hey, Danielle Ryer is going to be a guest of mine. You're going to meet her in a few minutes. She's just amazing. Autistic social worker. Doesn't stop right there. Comedian, nope, more. Speaker, role model, funny as hell. You're going to meet her in a few minutes. Got a few things, of course, we need to touch on. Neil Young, man. Well, I, I applaud Neil. I've always applauded Neil. I mean, I've always loved his music. But even if I didn't love his music, I've always liked him because he's always been a stand-up guy. You know, he's not into government control. He's into freedom. He's into rock and roll. He's into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, rather. <laughs> but I'm sure he's slowing down now because he ain't no spring chicken, Neil Young, anymore. But he's a great guy. Um... I really respect him, but he has an issue with Spotify. His music actually goes back a couple years that he was very unhappy with Spotify because of the actual sonic uh, quality of Spotify. But he kind of regressed and said, well, you know, this is kind of the way the digital platform is and everybody's on here, so I guess I need to be there too. But now he's really pissed off because Joe Rogan is on air. Um, he signed uh, a multi-million dollar contract and he's pissed off because of Joe Rogan spewing things anti-vaxxing. And regardless of what someone says, um, well, let me just finish the story here. So Neil Young wants to pull his music if they don't drop Joe Rogan. Well, Spotify said, sayonara, Neil Young. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so I guess they don't have a heart of gold. So Joe Rogan wins, Spotify wins. So I guess they're going to have to answer to the uh, subscribers to Spotify to find out what the deal is. I mean, are they going to possibly uh, entrench themselves in a mire of more controversy? I think if more artists start standing up, that is what's going to reverse Spotify's decision. Because it always hits the pocketbook. That's how change happens. When financially they uh, become you know, concerned about losing and not meeting their quarterly reports and budgets, et cetera. Um, so that would be, I think, the only way it would be reversed. So Joe Rogan, Spotify, continue. But uh, don't worry. Don't worry, uh, Neil Young, because I'm a huge fan. <laughs> and a lot of you, I'm sure, who listen to PRN are big fans as well because, you know, his music is just <clears throat> from the heart. And uh, whether you like him or not, you have to appreciate the fact that he's standing up against somebody. Because regardless of whether it's a Joe Rogan or a Mark Farrell, the provider, the uh, service, has to be responsible to an extent of the content. Because if I say something here on PRN that really pisses you off, that's one thing. But if you think it goes against what PRN stands for, um, anything under the umbrella of that nature... And then it's Gary Knoll's decision. So um, it's not ultimately, ultimately rather, uh, my issue, your issue with me, but it's whether do I fit under the confines of PRN. So that's the reality. That's an example, of course. Uh, that's the reality, I think, for um, Joe Rogan. Does Spotify want to take a chance of losing thousands, maybe tens of thousands, who knows, maybe not, um, of listeners? Members, paying members, or do they're like, or are they like, well, well, that's okay. Neil Young is only selling, or uh, we're not going to lose people from Neil Young. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they have all these metrics because when you have playlists, you can obviously see who's in your playlist. Are people, including Neil Young, I mean, he's got a vast catalog. He just had a new album drop uh, two months ago. So, I mean, the guy's still pretty hot. That's for sure. Anyway, um, that's my theory right there. But I think ultimately Spotify is not responsible. Yes, Joe Rogan is the mouthpiece. Spotify is the platform. And ultimately, whatever service you're delivering in this world, it's the parent company that's responsible. Yes, they are responsible for hiring the people they think will bring the content and bring the service and the numbers and have quality. But ultimately, the name of the company that's on the heading, the platform, the truck, um, the restaurant, they're ultimately responsible. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Oh, man, I guess that uh, (laughs) Rudy Giuliani feels that he can just do anything in this world. I cannot believe I am just astonished by what he has been doing this week. Selling 9-11 t-shirts. I'm not sure if they're t-shirts or sweatshirts. 9-11 autographed for $911. I can't imagine being a family member that lost someone, a spouse, a brother or sister who lost their brother or sister, parent, grandparent, and hear this giant buffoon, Rudy Giuliani, coming up with this idea to sell 9-11 t-shirts and sweatshirts for a profit. You know what? Even if he says he's donating the money, first of all, I wouldn't believe him because he's one of Trump's guys and Trump, yeah, does so much philanthropic work. Yeah, not. Says he does. Um, So I wouldn't even believe that if he does say that. But Rudy Giuliani, are you kidding me? How insensitive, how immoral. Here you are. That was supposed to be the, the mayor of the world back then who was complimented by, and, and I think knighted, yes, by the queen for his work. We wanted to possibly extend the mayor's terms um, because he was a two-term mayor back then. And not until Bloomberg, of course, came in and became a three-term mayor because he had a lot of money and he did a great job. But we were considering keeping that guy in office. What a jackass. And here he is flipping the whole thing around and saying, yeah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to profit off by this and sign T-shirts and sweatshirts for $911 on the skin of all the people who lost their lives in New York City. Yes, there are the people who lost their lives in the other two locations. <clears throat> but this is New York City-centric, specific. And this really hurts. This is something I think that should be blown up even more because I, I can't believe this guy can sleep at night. I can't believe this jackass can even with a straight face say, yeah, well, I think it's a good thing. How could it be a good thing to make everyone feel so used, violated, and so uh, much propaganda? Unbelievable that this guy could think he could get away with this. Oh, man. Well, speaking of getting away with things, man, Prince Andrew, (laughs) oh, man, this guy really thinks... I think he's going to win. Well, maybe not win. Maybe win from a quieter perspective. Because, of course, that sexual abuse case, assault, I have no doubt. (laughs) And I'm sure you don't either that he's guilty. Because the um, victim is in a picture. And I I feel bad for this woman. She's doing a, can I say a great job? But regardless of what circumstances brought this Poor young woman then, under the umbrella of Jeffrey Epstein, whoa, another winner, and um, his, oh, oh, what's her name, who just got uh, sentenced, I forgot her name, um, but I mean, she's under a web of, of vileness, you know, and here we got Prince Andrew in a picture with her saying, mm, I don't really recollect meeting her. Well, does this picture jog your memory? I mean, come on, man. What are you talking about? So I think, um, you know, now that he was stripped of um, 
all his titles. <clears throat> he's a private citizen. So now I think he's more likely to uh, use this as a threatening tactic to say to her, listen, I'm going to reveal more about you. But she's like, go ahead. I'm exposed. I am on national TV telling people the world what I was doing and what you did to me, more importantly. And uh, I love the, I can't say I love the line, but she was awokened the morning that apparently she met Prince Andrew and was told, today you get to meet a prince. And there was more to it because she did more than meet a prince. I feel bad for her, but good for her for um, airing her um, grievances with this guy, for possibly, you know, putting, uh, I can't say put an end to uh, sex trafficking and more, but exposing it. Oh, by the way, I saw a really horrific movie the other day. Horrific in terms of how, I guess likely, it's called Captive, C-A-P-T-I-V-E. I think it came out a couple years ago. Long story short, uh, an eight or nine-year-old uh, daughter of this family, husband and wife, was taken. And for eight years, she was missing. And it basically uh, shows how this underground web of traffickers, um, it was just scary on every level. And I was just horrified. I said to my wife, you have to watch this movie. She's like, why are you telling me? I said, you have to watch this movie. If you have kids, we have kids. You have to watch this movie. Just to keep your guard up, just to understand the underbelly, the dark side, the seediness that is so prominent, but so hidden. Anyway, so, um, yeah, Prince, I don't know, bro. Uh, you better write a big check. $10 million may do the trick. And I would love to see her do something with this money, the victim. I mean, she, she deserves a good chunk of it, but I'd love to see her say, you know what, Prince Andrew? Yeah, here's the money. Yeah, you're guilty. Maybe you can't... Um, uh, admit guilt because obviously that's why he's going to write the check. But you are going to go down and I'm going to be the cream of the crop here because I'm going to donate this money to a uh, anti-trafficking agency service, nonprofit, et cetera, doing incredible things for young adults, children around the world to stop this horrendous act. Hey, it's Mark Farrell. The show's insight on the Progressive Radio Network. Danielle Ryer, you ready to meet? <clears throat> are you ready to meet an incredible person? Man, well... I uh, accidentally uh, met Danielle a couple weeks ago uh, through a potential client. And I'm really, really happy this uh, potential client put uh, her in touch with me because she's just a magnificent woman. Uh, she's autistic. She's a go-getter. And she's here on Insight. And I had the pleasure of meeting her last night. Enjoy the conversation. Well, it's not often that you have a social worker, podcaster, comedian, speaker, and a person with autism all in one and all on my show. Hello, Danielle Ryer. Hi. Um, I'd like to clarify. I prefer the term autistic. Yes. It's so um, funny, you I know, our community, persons with disabilities, the vernacular changes per disability and preferences. It's always, yeah, it keeps you on your toes, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny because when you talk about different disabled populations, and there's arguments within communities. Sometimes I'm just like, can we just get along? I mean, come <laughs> on. Believe me, I totally respect people's rights because we're talking about individuals. But more importantly, I want to speak about you, Danielle, because you are phenomenal. You got your master's in social work. Talk about that. What drew you and attracted you to this field? Uh, well, I really like to help people. And um, I can say my experiences in education, special education, um, you as know, a student, yeah, as a student, you know, have really informed like, Hey, you know, these, these structures need to be improved to mm. include more people and to accommodate people, not just assimilate them. Right. Good for you. Like we can't just have everybody conforming and, you know, molding who they are to a system that's not designed with their happiness in mind. Did you um, feel that's the uh, the way that the educational system was kind of designed for you and it did not, it was like a square peg in a round hole situation? Oh, yeah. I felt that very much through most of my life. But, you know, I, I <laughs> persevered in that I do not let myself in situations where I'm going to be uh, in round holes. I'm just going to find the square, um, the square holes. 
so I don't drive myself insane. Good for you. Good for you. Have you always felt that you were different? Because I don't feel that I'm different. I just feel like I'm, I'm Mark Farrell. So you probably feel like you're Danielle Ryer and that's who you are and that's who you've always been. Well, I literally, that question is literally an impossible answer because mm -hmm. what you said, like <laughs> I've always been me. Like that's who you are. I do not know. Yeah. I do not know what it's like to be a neurotypical and a neurotypical does not know what it's like to be like me. But you know, I also don't know what it's like to be other autistics. I just can use my, you know, empathy and critical reasoning skills to see why, you know, certain people are doing certain things. Um, and to, uh, if I, if it's my role to intervene, to intervene, right? Good for you. Good for you. I guess the only thing we really know about ourselves are different versions, past versions of ourselves, because listen, we're all works in progress. We always like to think that we're becoming a better version of ourselves. So when we think about five years ago, when you were getting your master's 10 years ago, before you started and myself, you know, we look back and we're like, oh my God, look who I was. Look what I was doing <laughs> back then. You know, just like when I hear radio shows from 20 years ago. So um, that's no different. Obviously you're a very highly driven person. You're very, very intelligent, uh, very focused, and it's proven to serve you very well. Oh, um, I have ADHD, sir. I can't focused, tell. Focused. I mean, I would say that I am driven by my distraction as, you know, as a, as the phrase goes, like sure. I literally like, because my mind is not linear, mm -hmm. like I sort of am able to like grasp different concepts as I go and different ideas, but you know, it's not, it's not a bad thing as it served me. Well, like some people are like, why was I born with ADHD or why did I develop adult ADHD? What have you, um, however you want to argue that it develops. I just, it's like, it is what it is. And it's like, I, it, I happen to come with a brain that works and I found life hacks for it. So there's no reason to bemoan it. You know, mm -hmm. you just have to find ways around it and go for it. Just continue going. And, and we all do that on different levels. You know, we all figure out ways to make life work for ourselves, right? Oh, yes. That's part of the yes. journey. Exactly. And I love and the fact that you're artistic and you are standing up, speaking for other persons with autism. You stand up for people who don't have a voice or can't uh, be heard as loudly and as um, passionately as you. And I just applaud that because that's that's phenomenal. That's what life is about. You know, being part of a community, whether it's in a neighborhood or a uh, community that, that we're under the umbrella of, a person with disability, autistic, visually impaired, blind, deaf, multiple disabilities, et cetera. It's about being there for the other person. Exactly, exactly. And um, it's not just about being there. It's also about um, spreading a message, you know, and... Mm -hmm you know, that you're not, when you're helping one person, you're not just helping one person because there have been people who have helped me that inspired me to help others, that informed my capacity to help others, to understand others, to accept their limitations and to learn to set boundaries. Um, as a, you know, a healthcare, you know, professional social worker, I've, I've had to, you know, really understand what boundaries mean and that that means okay who am i you know and what am i going to put up with what am i not going to put up with and what you know how does that reflect in my behavior and what can i really control all i can control is me and you must have some experience being criticized by saying why would an autistic woman want to be a social worker why oh, yeah. do you think you can do this job why do you think um, you know about boundaries when you probably have boundary issues yourself? I'm sure you were asked all these very harsh and insensitive mm. questions and many more. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, as a child, I definitely had um, struggles understanding boundaries, but mm -hmm. now I get them. But it's a lot of that was because I was never really allowed to develop a true self that um, really 
understood social relationships until I got older. But you know, I'm I'm proof that people can change. You know what I mean? And people, you know, when you separate yourself from people who do not want to see you become your full self, you become your full self. Um, well said. Because because nobody's in your ultimately nobody's in your way but you. Nobody's and, in my way but me. Exactly. And that's most people's issues is that they can't get out of their own way. So bravo. I mean, I still struggle with that. Let's be honest. I, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we're all um, in some way, mm -hmm. you know, maybe in a very small way, we're all in a prison of our own design. Yep. I'm raising my hand. That's me. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. and I know it, you know, we have weaknesses and, and sometimes our safety mechanisms. I'm talking to a social worker, you know, way more than me about this issue because, you know, it's coping mechanisms, it's denial, it's uh, inability to uh, be real with yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've genuinely had days where it's just like, I have no idea who I am. And then it's just like, oh, I do have an idea of who I am. But, you know, I found that if you spend way too much time in other people's heads anticipating what other people need and not thinking about what you need that's when the boundary issues come up because it's it's like okay uh who you know what do i need in this moment am i in my head enough am i in my head too much you know you have to set those boundaries with yourself and learn to act when you know you know you've spent too much time in your head too little time in your head when is it time to reach out when is it time to withdraw you know, when is it time to take a nap, you know, or, you know, <laughs> any of those things, when do I sure. turn down? When do I turn down opportunities? When do I look for more? When do I just take a break? You know, like, uh, when can I afford to take a break? You know, there's something that people don't consider about boundaries is sometimes they are a, you know, matter of privilege, you know, we can't just say some of us just feel like we can't say no to like our uh, our employer, if they ask us to work extra hours, maybe we're afraid to, of disappointing them. Maybe we're afraid, oh, if we don't, we're not a team player. Um, you know, and maybe we need that, maybe we need that job so badly, or maybe we want to impress that employer so badly that we'll say yes. You know, I say yes, whenever it's possible and practical, and I feel that it will advance me. And if I really do appreciate, you know, my employer as well. And, you know, I do, you know, any, and any job I'm grateful to have it or I would not seek it out. Absolutely. And you've worked very long and hard for a job as a social worker. Danielle, yeah. do you feel like you're carrying a torch for autistic men and women to say, look at me, here I am, look at the journey I've taken and I am proud. And it's almost like, I'm going to give you a parallel. It's like sometimes uh, I feel like with certain races, I'm always the ambassador. I always feel that I always have to, you know, right the wrong for, you know, centuries of wrongdoing to people, et cetera. And so sometimes I feel like, okay, well, I'm a visually impaired person and I'm going to prove to the world that, yes, I can do triathlons. Yes, I can get onto the stage and talk to 10,000 people. Yes, I can do X, Y, and Z. Do you ever feel that as well? Um, it sounds like what you're asking is, am I trying to encourage people to take my path? Is that what you're saying? Well, embolden people. It doesn't have to be your path, but just to say, look, what's possible. Okay, well, anything is possible. It's just that you have to um, have the privilege of having that opportunity and to put in the work and um, have, you know, be able to apply yourself. I mean, having a master's in social work, it's not just a matter of being capable. It's also a matter of having the privilege of um, the support of a support network and having the finances to fund such a degree and to be out of work. And, you know, and sometimes to take your battles because you know, you will, you'll be working around people that, you know, may not have the same interpretation of, you know, uh, the code of ethics as you do. And you just have to learn to compromise sometimes mm -hmm. and to recognize at the end of the day, you have people to serve, you know, and that's negotiation and 
dipl- diplomacy is critically important. Absolutely. And, you know, you can, you, your, your focus is on doing the best for the people that you support and yourself, you know, so and more, please go replenishing ahead. yourself. Danielle, more specifically in terms of um, other persons with autism, you're a woman with autism. So do you feel um, that you are or you want to be a great example to say, look, I did this and possibly you can do it as well, whatever your goal in life is? I mean, sure. I mean, anybody can anybody can theoretically do anything that they are um theoretically capable of, uh, I guess the question's a little bit complex. You know, it's like, do you want to be able, do you want to do it? And are you going to put in the effort? Are you going to surround yourself with people who are going to push you to do it? Um, are you just going to be all, you know, society says that I can't do it. I don't really care what society says unless sure. it benefits me. Do you That's my attitude. feel comfortable being a role model? And do you, would you like to be serving in a capacity as a role model? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, if that's, if that's going to help the people that I serve, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely, um, I've definitely served in situations where, um, you know, for I've served autistic people in both clinical and non-clinical settings, like, um, and I would say that I'm pretty well liked by, you know, the people that I serve. Easy to Um, see that. And, you know, not everybody likes, likes me. I'll not be a good fit for everybody, but, you know, I'd say that, yeah, say that when people do like me, they really do like me. And, I have a good impact when they do. And sometimes, sometimes I even have a good impact when they don't, if you think about it, because I think about, okay, what does this person not like mm. about me? And how can I still make an impact here? How can they still make an impact on me? You know, that, that sort of thing. I, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate for prioritizing relationships where you feel are healthy, but just because you're different from someone and just because maybe you don't like everything about someone doesn't mean that they can't teach you something. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I think yeah. we get the most, we learn the most from people who are different because it's different perspective, different experiences, different expectations. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I'd say that there that I, I have some friends who I fundamentally disagree with on things, <laughs> but it yeah. just doesn't become to the, it just doesn't come to the point of a toxic, um, argument, Correct. It, you know, it becomes Still a collaborative, mm-hmm. yeah, it becomes a collaborative understanding or, you know, an understanding, you know, maybe they're not ready to see it my way, or maybe I'm not ready to see it their way, you know, like, but Correct. that sure. can, that can have, yeah. Yeah. Danielle Ryer is my guest. My name is Mark Frow. The show's insight on a progressive radio network. Danielle, you mentioned before you had some people, obviously that were responsible in your trajectory in life and maybe possibly your education. Who was it that made you think, you know what? I do have the wherewithal. I do have the gumption. I do have the focus and the capacity to be a social worker. You know, um, Actually, I would say as much of a social worker I am, and for caveat, I do not currently have a license. Uh, um, I'd say that um, one of my psychology professors and um, back when I, I, I was an undergrad student, several of them actually really pushed me to go in the path of uh, you know, psychology oriented career. You know, and, and social field. work is a psychology-oriented career. Sure. Um, and they told me, "Do not stop until you until you get your graduate degree." And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, at first, I was like, you know, do I really want to do this? But then it's just like, you know, I got to do this. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna get me what I want, where I want to go. And it's just there were points where I just thought, this is just too aggravating. I want to quit. I want to quit. I'm not going to be able to make it through. But you know what? I'm a stubborn person sometimes. And, you know, stubbornness comes in handy when, you know, you have a really good motivator. And that one teacher also told me, you know, anytime that you're feeling down or you're feeling like quitting, 
just laugh. And he, that teacher um, <laughs> told me, you know, you need to become a comedian. You need to do stand up. And I'm like, okay, what are you talking about? Okay. Uh -huh. And they're like, they identified a place for me to go. And, you know, wouldn't you know it years later, I'm, I'm doing that in areas like Philly, you know, or like some areas in New Jersey, you know, I don't get to do it very often because I can be kind of busy, but um, it is a great way to connect and meet people and have a community. What and is it know, about the comedy that draws you in? Because there's just so many frustrating, sad, aggravating things in the world. But, <laughs> you know, you know, if if you really just don't laugh, you're just going to be miserable. It's Oh, absolutely. You know, like and laughing, uh, you know, with people, you know, and not not making jokes at, a, at um, other people's expenses, um, just laughing the at synergy. power, laughing at power, you know, as I don't know who said that. Um, is really the the key to connecting with people because everybody can relate in some way to feeling frustrated by the systems of power that we all fight against unless they're in that system of power and in which case you know sometimes sometimes we all gotta laugh at ourselves you know oh absolutely I love don't, you know, I love jokes and I, you know, even though I'm in a, you know, in a minority group as an autistic disabled woman, um, I still love jokes about being autistic. I know I love jokes about autism. Um, and, even, <laughs> and why not? Right. To, we all have to yeah. be self-deprecating. Oh, it doesn't even have to it. be self-deprecating. Hmm. It could just be the truth. Like, uh, it could be a, be a joke about usage, weird eye contact or, or, um, awkward situations or miscommunications, you know, and, but, you know, even, even socially typical people, excuse me, can relate to having um, miscommunications. And, happens to me all the time because oh, I mistake yes. people because of my vision for someone else, or I, I don't see somebody who, you know, who knows me very well and are like, well, why can't Mark see me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been like, oh, I think I know you, I know you, I know you. And then they're like, there's no way you know me. And like, I'm like, dang, you're right. I just mistook your face for somebody else. I'm not alone in this world. It's reassuring. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even visually impaired. I, I, I mean, I wear glasses, but I, you know, I, my vision is still pretty okay with or without my glasses. What gives you the most satisfaction when you connect with another person in your profession? When I see that they feel as though they have the tools to survive on their own and like I'm able to give them the competence and that's yeah, yeah. And, the, and tools like I read this one book it's one it's become one of my favorites it's called healing the shame that binds you by John yep. Bradshaw healing the shame yeah healing the shame that binds you by John Bradshaw it says uh, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it says, parents who do things for their children increase a sense of toxic shame in their children because it teaches them that they can't do it themselves. So my strategy is teach people how to stand without me and gradually begin to withdraw my help from that for them and gradually begin to connect with them. And, well said. You know, and, I'm a you know big I mean? proponent of that belief. Yeah, it's, you know, you don't want people to feel like they can't do it themselves because then they're going to just be relying on you. And that becomes a, a situation that can get mm -hmm. a complicated. Yeah, it's like, and one of my mentors, you know, they they taught me that firsthand. You know, I I used to be very, you know, dependent on other people and they they taught me, by showing me that less is more. They help me when it's appropriate to help me. You know, when I am not just because I want the help, but because the type of help that they can give me is going to be sustainable. And that I put it, and my responsibility is putting that help to good sustainable use and um, learning about, to learn about myself, learn about 
my capacity and decrease the sense of shame I have in myself, you know, the idea that I can't do it without help because I can do it without help. It's just an illusion that I can't do it without help. And, you know, but at the same time, we all are social creatures and we need help now and again. You know, that's why we have communities. Um, most of us will suffer without a community. Most of us Absolutely. will suffer. Pandemic case in point. Ah, yes. I mean, like, look, there are still things I depend on other people for. Like right now, I don't have a driver's license. I'm still working on that. You know, like I will, sometimes I, you know, I depend on Uber and I depend on public transit to get me where I need to go. But other than that, you know. You could probably write a book on that alone, Danielle. Yeah, I am (laughs) writing a book right now. It's called A Certain Self. Um, That's the the working title. Like, because I'm trying to learn how to become me and I'm learning that through writing. It's a form, it's literally, there's a form of therapy called narrative therapy. Mm. There has never been any type of therapy that helps help me more sure. than Very narrative therapy. Because it's like, in your when you're just sitting, drifting in your mind, you can come up with conclusions. But when you start putting those thoughts on paper, mm-hmm. you begin to expand yeah, in a linear it. fashion. And, yeah. yeah. And, maybe not even in a linear fashion, maybe even in a scattered fashion, but you come up, you like, you, you're sure. able to jot these down and come back to it. Like before, before it just goes away, like with my ADHD, my my ideas just split away yeah. before. Fleeting, you have to grab, grab those. Yes. yes, yeah. Danielle yeah. Ryer, tell me about the course you're helping to design at Rutgers quickly, please. Okay, I I already actually finished that, oh, congratulations. that course. Yes, yeah, I mean like, I was working with a, uh, a professor um, and it was, it went very well. I, I created some videos uh, and I found some new research and old research that could help people think critically about um, the dynamics of uh, administrative social work, like where, you know, where finance finances run into play. The course is called financial management. And I had a ball. I, I love teaching. I love, I love reading. I love learning. And it's just like, I, I actually didn't come out as an administrative social work student. I came out as a clinical social work student. So like, I remember, you know, the manager was a little bit concerned about giving me the role, but they were like, wow, you did it. And I was like, wow, I did it. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I, never really thought, I never really thought, I, you know, I, I was told my whole life, you'll never be independent. You'll ne- you're not able to do things independently. You can't do it. You can't Shame do it. on them. You know, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I decided that I don't have to care what they think, even though it may have hurt, even though I may have felt rejected to hear that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to identify with their feedback. Correct. But it would have been nice along the way to have a little bit more uh, fuel and backing behind you. Oh, yeah. Like it definitely would have been a lot, a lot less irritating to hear, um, hear people say, well, you know, maybe you could change this. Maybe you could work on this instead of people just telling me. No, 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 you are something bad. You're not, you know, like instead of you did something bad. That's like what John Bradshaw contrasts as toxic shame versus healthy shame. You know, healthy shame, as he says, motivates us to be better people, but toxic shame tells us we can't be better people. And finally, Danielle Ryer, what would you say to your younger self, to a person out there who's at the crossroads of education or going into uh, the workforce or aging, possibly aging out of uh, special needs services that wants to do something more with their life, thinks they have the skills, the knack, the capacity, the know-how and the support, what would you say to them to empower them? Ultimately, you can get as much feedback from other people as you want, but you need to make your own decisions. That's what I would tell my younger self. And don't keep asking for feedback. Just try it and find friends, surround yourself with friends who will comfort you when you fail because having that 
the people who encourage you to explore yourself um, and will be there if you royally mess up because you will at some point. <laughs> we all do. I know, I know I have royally messed up and it's, you know, it's, it's cost me in the short term and in some ways the long term and I'm recovering, but it's like, I've learned something, something from it. And, you know, am I going to do it again? No. I mean, I might make more mistakes, but I'm a human, you know, I, 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 I cannot be any less than that. You know, you are a human with a big heart, lots of passion and lots to accomplish in life. Danielle Ryer, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. And I was so happy that you gave me this time and um, uh, feel free to reach out anytime. I'm so glad we connected. All the best to you. You too. Yeah, she's pretty marvelous, right? Danielle Ryer. And when you go on the Insight page, I can have links for you if you want to reach out to her and contact her for any reason, uh, social work and or more. Mark Farrell right here. The show's Insight Thursday, man. So we're supposed to get a pretty good dumping of snow in the New York City. Actually, the northeast stemming from, I think, Delaware north up to Maine, Friday night into Saturday morning. And there are different models showing different depths. Uh, we're talking like anywhere from six to 10 inches in New Jersey, a little less in New York City. So it's going to be interesting. My kids are really, really pissed off because they're like, well, wait a minute. This is the second time we're getting snow on a weekend. Not cool. This is supposed to be a weekday thing so we can get out of school. I'm like, well, you know what? Just take it. We can get it. I bought you some nice sleds, some discs, and we can have some fun, man. So just go out and live large. <laughs> so speaking of kids, um, I, I've been noticing something through my friends, my network of friends, who've been talking a lot about the inappropriateness of kids. Touching kids, I don't mean that way. I meant like pushing kids, being physical, being disrespectful. And it seems to be pretty ubiquitous. Kids that are really good kids, uh, my, my happens to my kids as well. Well, my one kid. And friends of mine who have good kids, it's happening to them as well. And I'm just scratching my head because I'm like, well, why, why does this happen? Well, it's got to be parenting. Because, I mean, as a parent, I taught kids from a very, very young age, you don't put your hands on another person, especially another kid in school. Even if you're having fun and it could be misinterpreted. Yeah, I should, I should take that line back. Yes, kids have fun and push each other, a little bit joking around here and there. But it's more than that. It's kids thinking they can be bullies. And I'm talking girls are the most offensive. This is happening like rampant fashion. And I, I just don't get it. So I have to blame the parents. I mean, the kids um, that I heard about you know, that were kind of uh, on the uh, receiving side of this, the parents call up and the teachers are like, yes, this, this has been an issue with Johnny or Susie, yada, yada, yada. There has been uh, a lot of this um, done by them. And, and I'm just perplexed by how this could be done and how a parent could allow it. I mean, if your kid comes home from school or you get a phone call from the administration or teacher saying, your Johnny or Susie um, was accused of being hit in the face, pushed, um, called some bad words. And now I'm not, yes, of course this happens, you know, occasionally now and then. But I've been, in the last eight months or so, I think this is all attributed to COVID. I think people are just beyond stress, the parents are. So I think maybe they're not modeling the best behavior. And maybe that's why some behavioral changes are being noticed because I am very much noticing this and don't understand how this can take place. I mean, I'm just miffed <clears throat> by if my kid ever, if I ever got a phone call from a principal and they said that my daughter, or my son punched another kid, I would be seething and finding out I would get to the bottom of why my kid would ever think it's okay to hit another kid, especially, especially unprompted. So um, I know a few kids that are actually being seen by school psychologists <clears throat> because 
they had different things they did numerous times through the web of parents talking. Um, and I'm aware of this. And I think this is becoming, uh, I, I can't say the word epidemic, uh, more and more commonplace. And I think this is all due to COVID. I think it's because they were home for so long. So many kids are either on remote virtual learning. Some kids are in and out of school because of they show symptoms or they were exposed. And of course, they have to be out of school now for five days. So it's a web of, I don't know, information and clutter and uh, fatigue and stress and a lot of different variables that I think are causing kids to, you know, lash out. Maybe I should ask Danielle, <laughs> a social worker, my previous guest, about this because, you know, there, there's a lot to this. And I'm sure there's going to be studies. That we're, the, the, the fallout from this is going to be for years and decades of how it impacted our kids. You know, all the way from, from K all the way through college. The kids who, you know, didn't have in-person graduation or, you know, didn't take uh, their SATs. And Oh, speaking of SATs, I, I can't believe the news the other day that the SATs are going to go digital. Are you kidding me? The SATs are not digital. They're not electronic. Man, talk about being in the dark ages. What? It's going from three hours to two hours, and apparently it's going to be easier. Man, I remember taking the SATs, a large print version, on paper. And I kid you not, when I tell you that top of the page to the bottom of the page must have been 25, 30 inches. It was big, easily. It was like turning like a, a piece of plywood, like um, and the font was probably 22, 24, 26 font. It was big and um, really didn't help me with the outcome too much, but <laughs> but I tried, man. I tried. As a matter of fact, uh, my scores are so bad. The college I got into said, uh, Mark Farrell, you can be admitted as a freshman, but you're on a probationary status. First semester, you got to prove yourself. You have to get Caesar better to stay here. So I was like, oh, my God. Getting into college, yet again, I feel different. Yet again, I am made to feel different because of my visual impairment, not being able to see the boards, not testing well, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really, really uh, a semi-tragedy. But also, um, it fueled me. Because I was like, there's no way I am not getting into, or rather staying here. I love college. I love education. I love learning. I love opening my eyes about new aspects of life, world travel, politics, philosophy, you know, meeting new people, backgrounds, perspectives, experiences. It's just all just stuff I just love. It's like candy to me. Just soak it all up, man. Well, I don't soak up candy, but. Uh, except truffles, man. I could soak up a truffle right now. <laughs> truffles are like the doom of me in December, man. Oh, by the way, speaking of uh, January, like habits and stuff, is this a, uh, what do they call it? Dryuary for you? <laughs> well, I guess the good news is if it is a dryuary, you're almost at the end. You can, yes, you can do it. And for the rest of us, cheers. Let's drink up. Bottoms up, baby. Um, <laughs> I, I'm totally digging people who uh, who have to take a little time out drinking, no matter what time of the year it is, because you don't need a calendar to tell you that you need to take a break from drinking. You know, if you feel like you're imbibing too much, hey, back it down, back it down, back it down. I probably have, hmm, I'd say every night or every other night, I split a glass of wine with my wife. Why do I split a glass of wine? I don't know. It's because if I'm cooking, I just open a bottle pour a glass, and I just take some sips as I'm cooking. Or if my wife's cooking, she does the same thing. And I come along, sip, sip, sip. So it's not like we just take out two glasses and both have two glasses of wine. We just split a glass. It's red wine, so it's healthier. So that's that's what I say. That's what I tell myself. Self, this is good for you. <laughs> also takes a little bit of that edge off, man. At the end of the day, man, come on. Who needs an edge taken off? Yes, I'm raising my hand. So um, I hope you're having a good January. I hope the year is off to a, a somewhat decent start for you. Yeah, I know. We're still kind of in a blank storm. And it, I, I can't even believe what I read this morning. I can't even believe I have to utter these words. Sub-variant here. Sub-variant, supposedly, of the Omicron. 
really? And another round of vaxes are being manufactured? <sighs> okay, enough. Let's just drop everything, drop the mask. Unless you're vulnerable, pre-existing condition, let's just do it. Drop everything, let everyone get sick, not get sick, whatever's going to happen, happens. Because this is going to go on and on and on. Very cyclical. Ebbs and flows. And, uh, you know, how could you not? I'm not a scientist. I trust the science. But how could you not see this? This is just burnout central, man. Enough already. Okay? We were taking the precautions. Now let's just, you know, it's not even rolling the dice. Hey, if, if, if again, if you have a pre-existing condition, if you're older, if you're disabled... If you're very young, um, whatever the case may be, if you just want to, fine. But let's back things off, man. Let's just do it because I think that's honestly the only way we're going to get through this on a global platform too. Because all these variants, yes, they're going to keep happening. And we need to move on. We need to live life financially, freedom um, uh, to live. Come on. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go ice skating this weekend if we don't get that much snow. And if I don't break my neck or my back or my ankles, I will be back next week. <laughs> hey, thanks so much to Jesse Funk. Jesse is a magnificent person, and Jesse is moving on to greener pastures. Jesse's been with PRN for, oh, geez, 10 years-ish. He's a program director, and I'd love to say that he's been an, an astounding program director, very attentive to details, very helpful, great person to speak with, smart, engaged, great editor, a good person overall, the kind of person you want on your team. Jesse's just a good dude, and it's been an honor and a pleasure to work with you, my friend. I know you'll be most successful on your uh, next platform. And, uh, and on that note, I will play you a Neil Young song on Spotify. Oh, no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> All right, Jesse. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for always listening to Insight here on the Progressive Radio Network. My name is Mark Farrell. Keep living and laughing. Gary Knowles next. Have a great day. Insight with Mark Farrell. Check out this and all Insight shows on the Insight page at prn.fm. prn.fm. Have Mark speak at your company, your kid's school or college. Mark speaks on critical topics that affect kids and adults everywhere, from anti-bullying, mental health, drugs and alcohol, to overcoming adversity. Visit markfarrellmotivation.com for more info. Insight, Thursday mornings at 11 on the Progressive Radio Network. Network.